You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. It's quarter to three. I missed you, baby sweet. There's no one in the place. Was a day. Hmm? Except you and me. It was a day. Humanity cannot survive. Replicants are the future of the species. But I can only make so many. He's got every gun in the city. I've got you. We have to stop him. What do you want? I thought you might be able to help me with the case. He's constructing an army. Tell me what you remember. Everything. They know you're here. He's on your tail. I'm coming with you. What's the plan? We don't run. You do not know what pain is yet. You will learn. everybody and welcome once again to Geek Press Trends. My name is Carlos Perón and today I have a film review and a trailer review for you. Well as expected we finally got around watching Blade Runner 2049 and boy we got lots to talk about. <laughs> Overall I enjoy the film. It is a great sequel to the original film but there's just so many questions that I have that people are theorizing over you know on the internet like crazy and we are going to explore some of those theories some of those questions some of the possibilities of what these answers might be and we're going to take a look at the film itself to see how it compares like i said it's a great sequel a couple of old faces and a couple of new faces introduced so we will look at that and then we will review our the newest star wars the last jedi trailer that dropped a couple of days ago. Boy, man, are these trailers good. I always keep saying this. Whoever is in charge of generating interest and marketing and, you know, keeping us on the edge of our seat, they've done it again. This new trailer they put out has so many juicy, juicy bits of information. And it's just hard to believe we're only two months away from this film coming out. And, uh, you know, to get our hands on such a cool, cool trailer, you know, the images are fantastic. The music is fantastic. I cannot wait to see it. So let's get started with Blade Runner 2049. What did I teach you? You 
Well, the Duke of New York, you're a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? The Force will be with you, always. Okay, we're finally going to talk about Blade Runner 2049. This was a very different kind of movie. Overall, I would say it was very good. However, it does have some of the similar, what I would call criticisms, or maybe they're not criticisms. Uh, Maybe it's just part of the artsiness of the film. And by that, I'm talking about the original Blade Runner. I remember it as being a fantastic film in terms of visually. The type of things that we saw were groundbreaking at the time. And that's one of the main factors that made the original film such a, not only, I guess you could call it a cult hit, because it really wasn't that big of a hit when it came out, but an ongoing hit afterwards. It became a landmark in science fiction in terms of, okay, here's something that's we've never seen before. Similar to how, let's say, for example, The Matrix kind of put a twist on the whole sci-fi realm a number of years ago, many years ago, as a matter of fact. Now, it's been a while. But the original Blade Runner also had many moments of slowness of things that were happening that were kind of slow and the movie you could feel it trying to shift gears back and forth between an actiony type of thing and a very thoughtful type of thing a very talky type of thing and whether you were in these very slow moments or fast moments the canvas was just exploding around you whether it's an outdoor neon flying scene or the inside of somebody's apartment and the furnishings, whether they're super extravagant or very basic. And that was part of what Ridley Scott's design was and what he was going after at the time. The back and forthness of the movie, again, I believe that was his creation. Now, obviously, we all remember that originally the film had a narration because it kind of helped the audience understand where we were at and what were th- and some of the things that were happening and that was something that was mandated by the studio that he didn't feel too happy about and later on when he did you know director's cuts and then the final cut he removed a lot of that stuff and added some stuff too one of the things that he added was a bigger hint not a definite confirmation but a bigger hint of the character of Deckard himself most likely being a replicant too. But it's something that, again, was never, never... I mean, you you could find some interviews where he admits to be hinting at it, which is fine, I guess. But for the audience, you are never confirmed that, you know, as part of the narrative of the story. So now we fast forward quite a number of years in the story. We're fast forwarding 30 years with Blade Runner 2049. And overall, one of the things that I found about the film was that it was very, very, very much like the original in terms of the pacing of it, the look of it, and the usage of actors. Now, I'm going to go deep into the story itself, but I am going to be spoiling things left and right, as usual. The story is somewhat complicated, and you can 
kind of fall into some pit holes here or there where you're like, wait a minute, was this supposed to be that or was that supposed to be this? This is definitely a movie that I would love to watch again, but at this rate, obviously, I'll just wait for the video to come out. This was a 3D film. It was presented in 3D, which is very good, especially for those <laughs> those outdoor scenes. Man, Lord, there's something else. But let me give you a base, just a basic thing here. Your lead character, which is Ryan Gosling, plays uh, Detective K. Off the bat, we know it's confirmed. The, he is a replicant. He is a Blade Runner replicant. So by this time in the future, because of the events that we saw in those short films that we talked about last time, there was a an uprising of replicants that led to them being completely banned once again from Earth, thereby initiating the Blade Runner unit once again. But this time, for whatever reason, he is a replicant chasing replicants. And everybody's aware of it. And there is a lot of friction in society, even in the police department, about him working there with cops, with human cops. But he takes these routine tests he has to take to confirm that he's not going <laughs> off script, if you will, <laughs> to make sure his, his feelings are not deviating in terms of what he, how he feels about his work or his status or his existence. Apparently, he has to take these tests routinely, you know, after completing an assignment. And one particular assignment that he completes is chasing down a replicant named Sapper, who's played by Dave Bautista, who, again, we saw a, sh a short film about him earlier, too, which was cool. Now we get a little background into him. And, uh, you know, he's here to take him in, and the guy's going to put up a fight, and he ends up shooting him at the end. And But there was something about his resistance to wanting to be retired or murdered that kind of you know it didn't sit right with him and on his way out of his um, you know of that location he does find uh, what appears to be a suitcase buried and when they bring the suitcase out you know to the police station and they examine it they realized uh, they uncover that it is the remains of a woman a woman that was apparently pregnant a woman that apparently died during childbirth as a result of a cesarean being performed, the emergency cesarean. What's unusual about the bones is that they find markings, replicant markings on them. So that's very strange because that implies that a replicant gave birth to a child. So his new mission now is to find this child and retire the child because his police captain, played by Robin Wright, and her character's name is Joshi. She explains to him that this kind of information, this kind of discovery could lead to riots, war, violence, everything, because this doesn't happen. This could not happen. This would not be allowed to happen. Replicants self-replicating, more or less, the way, the manner in which humans replicate. So his new mission is to find this. Now, we learn a little more about him, you know, about, you know, where he lives. He has a holographic girlfriend, basically. So it's kind of weird when you think about it. It's a replicant, a robot that has a holographic girlfriend. So he's, you know, he is trying to replicate, replicate. Uh, <laughs> he is trying to live a life the way a human lives a life, let's say, with a companion. But in his way, it's different. And one of the things that it is, is you know, it's again, the technology is amazing. You, they show you his apartment, how he has, there's this bar that runs across the ceiling of the, of, of the room of his, of his apartment. And it can project the image of 
his holographic girlfriend anywhere in the room. And one of the things that he he purchases is a remote device now that where he can, instead of that person only being able to live in that room because of the holographic projector, he can now take it with him. So he has a portable projector, you know, that he kind of gives it to her as a present, as, as, as a present to his girlfriend. It's like, well, this is going to allow you to now come outside. And there's a scene where he goes, you know, he takes it to the roof of the building and he's able to... You know, they're, they're able to stand out there in the rain and she gets to feel the rain, whatever feel means to her. It's a whole other thing. And, you know, she is reacting the way that you would imagine something like that would react. So one of the first places that Kay visits is the headquarters of Neander Wallace's corporation. Now, Neander Wallace is played by Jared Leto, who is, the guy's just amazing. We saw him in the short film earlier. And we got a taste of what kind of character this guy is. And yeah, it's he's a he's a he's a rough one, <laughs> if you will. But one of the things that he finds out by visiting Wallace is that the bones could be traced back, or I guess the DNA or the genetic makeup or the manufactured makeup of those bones could be traced back to a replicant named Rachel. So here we go. Now we have the connection to the first film. This is Rachel. Rachel and Decker, and that she was involved with a guy named Decker, and they kind of disappeared. So that kind of, you know, makes Wallace uh, realize, uh oh, we got to find this person. You know, this is in, this is important because this is something that is very important for his company. If all of a sudden his replicants now are able to reproduce, now we don't know exactly for what purposes he finds that interesting. Because if you think about it, it could be a bad thing for him. That it could be a good thing for him. I don't know. It depends. You have to think about it. I don't know what take they're going to have on it. But all you need to know is that all of a sudden now he puts his, like, let's say, number one thug replicant, her name is Love, L-U-V, Love, <laughs> on the track, you know, for Kay's investigation. So... Kay returns once again to the, the original place where he founds those bones and is searching through the, the home of Sapper, you know, to see if there are any other clues there that he could find. And the only unusual thing that he finds is a date on the bottom of a tree. And that's a tree that was, first of all, it's a dead tree. And in the bottom of that tree, somebody had carved out a date. So now he's got a date to go on. Now, what's important about that date is that he later on finds out, because he's searching all these different places, he goes to this orphanage at one point where these all these kids are there and they're like manufacturing things for people and he roughs up the owner of the orphanage for information about people that were born around that time in that area, you know, because he's trying to figure out, you know, what happened to this kid. You know, where would a kid go if they wanted to hide him and that sort of thing. And he ends up in this facility which he has been having some memories of, which again, these are replicant memories. So you can't really tell, are these manufactured memories? Are these real memories of a whole bunch of kids uh, chasing another child and, and the other child being beating, beaten up? And before he gets beat up, he puts away what appears to be a toy. He's hiding a toy. So in this orphanage, you know, as he's digging around the place and he, he asks the guy, he kind of forces the guy for more information. And the guy's, you know, he's looking at his records and there are missing pages on his uh, record sheets. So he doesn't know, you know, the kid that was born on that day, that particular day that he found that carving, they're gone. Those pages are gone. So they're missing. So he's wandering around there some more and he finds that 
there's an area there that is very similar to that memory that he keeps having about children chasing one other kid. And he digs around there and he finds the horse, that little wooden horse, the little toy horse from his memory in what appears to be like some kind of foundry or like an abandoned foundry or something like that. And on the bottom of the horse, there's that date. So wait a minute. Now you have the date on the bottom of the horse. Now you have the inscription on the tree. So there is a connection there that he's trying to put together. So he keeps looking, keeps looking, keeps looking, and he's able to find some DNA records of a birth taking place around that time where the records are just messy and there appears to be a situation where twins are born, but that only the boy survived. The girl died. So with that information, you can kind of tell now that he's kind of piecing it together. He's having memories of being a child, <laughs> which you shouldn't have, but you kind of should because the replicants always want to implant them with fake memories anyway, but, you know, to make them more human. But he's having very specific memories, and not only is he having these memories, but now these memories are tied to an actual event that took place of a boy being chased around and having to hide, you know, this little horse. So he goes to visit a doctor who's a specialist, apparently, in memory implanting. He meets this woman. Uh, her name is Dr. Anna Stellin. And she's a little weird because she seems to live in an isolated kind of bubble because of her immunity problems. You know, all her life, apparently, she's been living in this bubble. Uh, and she works out of this bubble, this little room in, in, a, in a special scientific environment. And... You know, she's asking her about memories and this sort of thing and how they work. And she kind of tells, he tells them outright, you know, it is illegal to implant real memories inside of a replicant. So he now is starting to believe that, wait a minute, if you can't do that, then he might be a real person then. He's considering that possibility, or at least he could be the result of a replicant human, you know, relationship. He might be the person he's looking for especially since the records indicated that only the boy survived. So he's starting to, you know, kind of freak out at this moment. So he goes back to his office, you know, to the uh, police station, and he has to take the test again, like he does every time he returns. And he fails it really bad. He's having problems. His feelings are kind of coming out. And he failed the test, but he tells his boss that he completed the mission, finding and killing this child... Obviously, he's lying, and that's probably part of the reason why he's failing the test, I imagine. But Joshi tells him that, you know, he's got 48 hours to get lost, to disappear. She's kind of cutting him a break. So at a certain point, he also goes, you know, he, he wants to go looking for Decker now because he might have more information on what's going on. And he visits, which is a great scene, I loved it, Gaff, played by Edward James, almost the same actor who played him in the original film, at what appears to be some kind of a retirement home or something. And he's asking him questions about, you know, where he can find them, and he's really not giving him much information. But as he's leaving, you know, he's you, you can tell that while he's talking, he's kind of fiddling with something in his hands. And when he's leaving, he gives him a little paper sheep that he made. He made origami sheep, which is really, really cool, you know, considering, you know... The original title of the story, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? So he's still looking to figure out where Deckard is, and he has the, the little wooden horse analyzed by some machine or something, and he finds out that it has these high levels of radiation on him or something like that, a certain type of radiation that only seems to be emanating from Las Vegas. 
So he travels there, and as he's getting closer and closer, his sensors indicate that the specific area that he that he seems to be looking for actually has like a pocket of non-radiation. So it is kind of like a false reading uh, area, which seems to be a perfect place to hide. If you remember the trailer, this is all those scenes where he's walking through this very orangey, dusty landscape. And again, you know, the art direction here, the sets, are, they're just incredible. The look of it, it is, it's perfect in the trailer. You know, you get a little snippet of it and it's just perfect. That It's like a ghost, it's basically a ghost town. I guess it's supposed to be an area that is abandoned because of radiation or something. And But when he walks into the structure, the actual building, which, well, it's Las Vegas. It's supposed to be a um, some kind of a casino, abandoned casino. You know, he eventually <laughs> meets up with Decker, and they have a nice fight <laughs> before uh, before they're able to talk. And Decker reveals to him that, yeah, this is you know, this is what we had to do, and we, you know, this, the the records were scrambled, and you know, one survived and one didn't, and it was done on purpose to, you know, to protect Rachel and the baby. They went in one direction, and he went in a different direction, and that he was able to kind of find a group that would take care of her a group of, of other replicants. So Wallace's uh, henchman love, she uh, eventually catches up to Joshi and basically kills her and one of the lab people there. And they are able to locate Kay. So now they come after Decker and Kay. Now, another thing I forgot to mention is that while Kay is doing his investigation, he is approached by some by a woman who seems to be a prostitute, more or less. And there is this whole weird sex scene in the movie where Joy is able to kind of superimpose her holographic image over this prostitute, basically, in order to make love to Kay in the manner in which, I guess you could say, would be more human-like. So it's a really odd scene, but then we find out that that prostitute is working for somebody because she kind of drops a, like a homing beacon into Kay's jacket. And at the time, we are suspecting that she is probably working for Wallace. However, fast forward now to the scene where Love is trying to locate him, and she's at the police station, and she does, like I said, kill Joshi in the, Joshi in the process of trying to find out where Kay is. So now all of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute, what are we dealing with here? Wasn't that brother person, you know, in on it, kind of... <laughs> So it's a little confusing at this point. So eventually, like I said, they find them and they have a shootout and Kay is injured in as a process of the shootout. Love's henchmen and her, they grab um, Decker, put him in one of their spinners and they take him away. And before Kay could be killed by the remaining henchmen, this group comes out of nowhere and saves him. And this group of what appears, what, what then we realize are replicants, are this group that originally were protecting Rachel's baby. And they're basically like a, almost like a kind of like a freedom fighters. It's an organized level of replicants, like an underground group that were protecting her because of the fact that she was born. And, you know, it was a, it was such an important event for them. So they um, save Kay. So now Kay has to go and rescue Deckard because they got him. So, Deckard wakes up in Wallace's, I don't want to call it office, his his thinking room or whatever that main room it is that he's at. And they start to have a conversation. 
where Wallace wants to know, you know, where is this child? He wants to know the information because he has his own uh, agenda of, uh, I guess, being able to produce uh, robots or, or maybe not allowing robots to be able to multiply on their own. Or with the infusion of humans, you know, I don't, it's it's unclear exactly what his plan is, but you do know that he wants to get his hands on this child, and Decker won't help him. And he goes as far as to, in the middle of their conversation, he asks somebody to walk into the room, and it is Rachel. It is exactly Rachel. Now, this is one of these shots that, when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, holy crap, how did they do this? And okay... It's obviously some kind of CGI effect. It's a woman that looks just like Rachel. She's dressed just like Rachel. She talks just like Rachel. But Decker, you know, he understands what's happening. He knows that this is just a trick that he's trying to play on his emotions. You know, Wallace is trying to kind of yank at his heartstrings. He says to him, well, you know, Rachel had green eyes or something like that, which at that point, Wallace realized it's not working. You know, the, the trick is not working. So he just nods to Love and Love just takes her gun and shoots her in the head. Um, so it's almost like having her die a second time now for him. But again, he understands this isn't real. So Wallace just says, you know what, get, take him, take him away. And I think the plan is supposed to be to take him off world and just torture the crap out of him to get the information out. So as they're on their spinner flying away, Kay is able to intercept that spinner and they both kind of crash into the other side of the border of the Los Angeles area, basically. And that is this, and we've seen it because he's gone in and out of this area so many times. It's a protective wall. It's a protective wall because apparently the sea level has risen so much that they need this huge wall protecting, you know, the water that's coming into Los Angeles. But they fall on the water side, which is kind of like a very small shore at that point. And they're having this fight, you know, he's able to kill the henchmen, but not Love, obviously, because she's very, very strong. So the battle then is between Love and Kay. And they go at it for a while, and eventually Kay is able to defeat Love. And, uh, you know, as the water is starting to rise and rise, and Deckard is starting to drown little by little, you know, he is able, finally, to pull him out, you know, of the spinner. But he is, once again, he's injured again. He was stabbed a number of times, you know, by love in the process. So he's not, Kay's not doing very well. If he was a regular human, you know, he'd probably be dead. So you can kind of reaffirm the the fact that whatever suspicions he had of being that hybrid child, they're pretty much gone because he does have you know, replicant-like strength, let's put it that way. He's able to, like, burst through a wall when he, when he, you know, when he's trying to rescue um, Deckard in Las Vegas. So, you know, there are certain things he does, and the amount of punishment that he's taking really leads you to believe, okay, this guy, he's not. So what he does is he takes Decker at this point, because he, I guess he figured, he, he thinks he's kind of figured it out at this point. He takes Decker to Stellene's office. This is the girl that was the specialist in memory implantation that's living inside that bubble room because he figured, you know, he figured out that that is the person that is probably Decker's daughter. The fact that they scrambled the records on the record stating that the girl died and the boy survived was done on purpose to just throw people off the scent when in reality it was the opposite. And the movie basically ends around that point where Kay is 
what appears to be fatally injured at this point. You know, he's sitting outside the steps of the this office building where, where she's working in, and he tells Decker to go in and meet his daughter. And that's where the whole thing ends. So it's somewhat an ambiguous ending. As the movie is ending, you hear Tears in Rain theme from Blade Runner, the original film. There are so many questions that are unanswered or that I even slipped through watching it. This is one of these films that I definitely think I need to see a second time because I need to mine it for information. There is much deliberate vagueness in the information you are given. And in a way, you could kind of say that's good because, or you can kind of say that's bad because, you know, granted, we, we with films, we like to, generally, we like to have everything given to us. We don't like to... Th- think too much. I hate to say this. And I've talked about this many times before. When you're dealing with films like like Christopher Nolan type of films, these are films that you have to think because you have to put the puzzle together. It's not usually given to you on a silver platter. And this film does that too, I think, in a way. They're very vague answers. I had to go on YouTube and on the internet afterwards and try to say, you know, ending explained or, you know, mysteries of the film or stuff like, you know, film explained. There's so many little factors that are like, oh, that's, is that what they meant? And even the people that are theorizing on some of these things, they're not entirely sure themselves. There's one aspect of the film where when Wallace is meeting with Decker, Wallace is almost hinting that maybe even Decker is a replicant. And this is something that's been going around for a very long time now. I know that I've read articles that Harrison Ford thinks he's not, and Ridley Scott thinks he is. (laughs) So there is an argument between these two men (laughs) as to the nature of this character. Granted that Ridley Scott, with his director's cut, and later with his final cut, he's made it even more obvious, or he hinted at it even more than before, that Deckard is a replicant. There are certain shots in the film where you see his eyes glow a certain way that only replicants seem to do, like the owl, like Rachel, like himself. And it almost seems as if they were enhanced as these final cuts or special editions came out. They added the unicorn dream scene, which is something that, again, hints at it and explains it a little more. But he has never, on film, given you that a fact, if it is a fact. So it's, you know, he, he tries to be ambiguous about it. Now you think about the possibility of how does him being a replicant then affect, you know, this particular storyline? So in other words, if the mystery of this film is the fact that a human and a very special replicant were able to have a child, if Decker's a replicant, then that means a replicant and a very special replicant were able to have a child. So does that make the story any more difficult or not? Hard to say. The other thing is this. By Rachel being a special model, as we were told, that she was a special model, she did not have a four-year lifespan. Granted, that if that could be true or that could be false. And the reason I say that is because we meet her at a certain age and... I don't know, two years later, three years later, she has a child. You know what I mean? It's kind of like in the realm of possibility, you know, that she could still be just a four-year because apparently she died at childbirth. Okay, so she could be either one. You know, she could be one or the other. Who knows? Decker, on the other hand, now we're dealing with somebody different because if he's human, he's human. Fine, no big deal. But if he's a replicant, he's already outlived a four-year lifespan. You know, he's now, you know, it's 30 years later, more or less. (laughs) 
So maybe he is the one that is supposed to be the one with the, you know, uh, normal lifespan. You know, he's able to age, at least. We see his face has changed like a normal person has changed. I don't know if that's something that's addressed in the film in terms of are these non-expiring replicants, are they capable of physically aging or are they stuck with that face for however long it is that they're going to live? Do they go from being an infant to an old man or is it whatever inception you know date that these robots have been given is that how it works unknown again it's up in the air i did read a a short article also about how jared leto had asked the director you know because apparently when wallace is examining decker while he's out cold he's out passed out you know he does perform tests to examine his brain or something and he kind of hints at decker possibly being a replicant but we don't know if that's just to throw him off or to screw with him, or over it's real. And the director told them that he would allow Jared Leto to decide, as the actor playing, you know, as part of his character, let him decide whether, you know, what it is that he saw in that scan, and whether what he said is true or false, which is really interesting if you think about it. I'm like, wow. And, you know, Jared Leto, you know, he's, you know, there, there's quotes about him being being very coy about it. And he's like, it's his secret. He only knows. He's the one who's determining it. You know, it's for him. It's a special gift that the director gave him, basically. So that's kind of weird. Overall, like I said, because there's so many unanswered questions in the film, I do want to see it again. I wish they would put out a book. I wish they really would put out a book. It would have obviously be an adaptation because the, you know, the original writer has died many, many years ago. He actually died, I think, even before the, the original film came out, I think, or right around that time. So I'm sure the, the screenwriters, they could hire somebody to write a version of the book. Um, but unfortunately, because there is the potential of a sequel here, you know, everybody wants a sequel. It is such a rich environment. I love that environment. The environment is so much more bleaker than before. Before it was brighter, uh, brighter. <laughs> Most of the film takes place at night, but there was more life in this environment, in this older environment. Now you could tell 30 years later, the environment has been weathered down even more. Just the bleakness of it all. The streets are being like cleaned from what looks like to be snow, but it's, I think it's really ash. It's really just waste. It is just such a ugly environment. But just like in the original where you had all these artistic, you know, panoramas of just city life and nightlife and rain and just an endless amount of garbage (laughs) permeating the city, this one does it too. I think one of the biggest differences here is that the first film was so groundbreaking that it will stick with you, or at least with us or people of my age, for a very long time. Because we had never seen something like that. What this film succeeds in doing is in continuing that line, that look. But I don't think it breaks much ground in terms of saying, oh wow, that is, I've never seen something like that. No, we've seen something like that. We've seen it in the original Blade Runner. Now, don't get me wrong, it's just beautiful what they do here from a scenic design perspective. I knew they were going to be able to do this. I knew it because a couple months ago, we saw Ghost in the Shell. And Ghost in the Shell had the beginning of this type of thing, this type of futuristic environment, this anime-ish type of decor. 
which kind of feeds itself. I know that Blade Runner didn't invent this. I know that uh, some of it came from anime, and then it went to Blade Runner, and then from Blade Runner it went back to anime, and then from Blade, <laughs> and then from anime it came back to science fiction. You know, this is a a look, a design that lives on its own. But here again, they do it great. Ryan Gosling was very good, I think. I know a lot of people don't like him because he is kind of like a one-note actor. And if you've seen him before in other films, the thing that he does, this kind of dead-eyes acting style of his, and some people say he acts through his eyes, he doesn't act through his face. I get that. But here it works. I don't understand exactly why they would allow a replicant to be a cop in terms of, okay, I, maybe it's the guilt thing. You know, you don't want a, uh, a human being guilt-ridden because of the fact that his job is basically to kill as many <laughs> replicants as possible, and it would be psychologically traumatizing for any human. You know, obviously they did it with Decker, so why wouldn't, you know, they, I guess they, they don't want to do that anymore. They're Now they're using, you know, uh, replicants to kill replicants. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. You know, he's like I said, he's perfect for the role. He's really good for the role. I honestly don't know. Is he dead at the end? Who knows? He could be dead. I don't know. The character of Wallace again. I want to see so much more. I don't know if it's Jared Leto or if it's the written character, but he's just so damn good. And it's a similar thing that he did, you know, with Suicide Squad, where he played the Joker, and he was so damn good at it and all y'all want to see is more of him and less of everything else well here it's a similar situation i do want to see more of wallace because he's such an interesting character he's blind but he has these these electronic rocks that kind of hover around him to kind of help him i guess maybe sense the environment uh, you know he's like a one of these mad geniuses type of person and yeah it would be interesting you know to learn more about his character i mean what we we got i think we almost got more from the uh <laughs> from the short film than we did from from this one. Uh, there's a secondary scene I forgot to mention uh, where he, as part of his narrative and as part of his, you know, us getting to know him, you know, we see him ordering, you know, the the production or the birthing of a of a replicant and how he's very careful with her and he's cleaning her, and then later on he just kills her, like just kills her, outright kills her, uh, and it's really like holy crap, this guy is just wired really strangely. The relationship between Kay and his girlfriend, his holographic girlfriend, is is also something very different. And, and the fact that you now have replicants that are having relationships with holograms is a whole new other, you know, ball of wax here. It's just a very unusual. That, that sex scene that I mentioned earlier, again, very unusual. Very unusual, but it's understandable how something like that would happen in terms of a replicant that wants to have a physical relationship would do that sort of thing where it's like, okay, well, if you, now the question then becomes, well, why don't, doesn't he find a other replicant? Because then you have a physical being. It's not human, but <laughs> maybe that's what it is. It's that he's looking for a, for a human interaction. He's looking for a human connection, but he wants to have the emotional, he wants the physical human connection with the emotional connection that he has from his 
holographic girlfriend. So that kind of kind of makes sense of how and why he's doing this. But it, it the way that they shot the scene, it's it's really trippy how those two images, because you have the superimposed hologram on top of the real girl, and how those two are slightly slagging off of you know, there's a slight lag off of each other because one's trying to keep up with the other one. So it's it's really good. And there's a point in the movie also I didn't mention is that when when he's fighting with um when Kay is fighting with Love, she does notice that, you know, the uh, the holographic emitter falls to the ground and she crushes it. And and in the process, you see the image of, of uh, Joy dying, basically, which is the destruction of her program because he does know that if he loses that program that's in the remote mode, he's gone forever. He can't go back home. The program has been transferred to the, you know, to the portable device. And that is probably one of the strongest emotional points in the film where you see Kay's heart being broken <laughs> another time in the film. The other big reaction is, yes, when, when he does put the pieces together and finds out that he is not the the child that he thought he was, that is also another big scene for him. The film music is very good. There are certain cuts in the soundtrack that have the very traditional Vangelis ish like beats in it there's probably about two or three that are very very the rest of it is very atmospheric very grand you know the the scenes are just like it's it's like the beginning of blade runner when you just you see that eye opening and then you it's like you hear this boom it almost sounds like thunder and it's the music it's this it's this input of of information that's coming towards you that you're just kind of trying to piece it together a lot of that is in there. Like I said, the technology is great. I love all the stuff they did. There are some classical, there's some Sinatra songs in the movie. There's like a holographic player that he kind of drops a little coin into it or something. It's really cool. They did a really good job. And I really hope that they continue this or at least give us a book. I am definitely going to have to see it again. I saw it in 3D like I mentioned earlier. I really hope that they do decide to continue with it. Couldn't tell you if this is something Harrison Ford would continue with. Couldn't tell you if Cade lives or dies. I mean, odds are he's dead. <laughs> I'm not sure, but because you didn't see it happen, hey, they can fix him. Who knows? I don't know. So if you like the first one, I think you are going to like this one. If you thought the first one was a little slow, I think you're going to find that this one's a little slow. It's almost three hours long. You know, it's pretty big. And there are these slow points, but again, they're purposely slow points, I think. They're, it, just like the original had these sections that were kind of slow. They move kind of slow, a lot of talking. But overall, you know, when a movie leaves me wanting more of it, like after sitting through almost three hours of it and saying, you know what, I, I wish there was more, <laughs> I think that's something good. I don't think that's necessarily something bad. I like this world. I love to see more of what happens in this world. There's so many characters that are so interesting that I'm definitely coming back for more if they ever give us more. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on-the-spot task force. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Thank you, Bob. It's Mort. Mort, yes. I am Ted Baxter, and here is the news. All right, so this is the Last Jedi, Star Wars The Last Jedi trailer that just 
dropped last night in the middle of a football game. Once again, this is the only opportunity I ever get to even get close to anything resembling football. It's a funny situation. You know, I'm watching other stuff while I'm recording this game because I know that at halftime they're going to play this trailer. And I'm going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, you know, with whatever I'm watching on, on the other side that I'm interested in watching. And, you know, the game gets down to, I think, like two minutes. So I'm like, okay, two minutes, two minutes. And I always make the same mistake, you know, two minutes is two minutes. No, in football, two minutes is probably about, I don't know, 20 minutes. <laughs> so we get to the point where we're about one minute away <laughs> from halftime. And that's when my daughter walks in and she's like, okay, is, are we ready? She, I'm like, no, it's a minute. And, 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 and she goes through the same frustrating thing of, well, how come a minute is lasting more than three or four or five or six minutes? Well, I'm used to it by now. So that's how it works. And finally, finally, they get through with it and they stop and we're, it's about 10 o'clock at night, I think, by the time that the halftime uh, hit and the trailer dropped. So let's examine this shot by shot because it's a trailer, you know, they're calling it the official trailer because I guess the previous one was the official teaser. You know, they always change, they go back and forth. This is called a trailer, it's called a teaser, it's a teaser, to tra whatever. The point is that we have a nice, you know, two and a half minute more or less trailer now to pick apart at now the the one thing i'm surprised is that they didn't have this at new york comic-con not that i could have seen it i wasn't there so but it would have been a perfect little treat for the comic-con crowd i mean this would have been perfect you know you you give them a sneak peek of the trailer and then you know two days later you have it you know for everybody to see but whatever they have their own strategy i don't understand how that works I'm sure they were hoping they would premiere. It would premiere in that manner, and I'm also sure that they were worried, as usual, about leaks. Because obviously, even during New York Comic Con, I think they must have released or they must have shown a sneak peek of an Avengers trailer, an Infinity War trailer, I think, and it had already leaked into the internet by then. But you know, by handheld camera, that kind of stuff. So, of which, you know, granted, I do watch a lot of stuff. <laughs> through different means but when it comes to that sort of thing when it comes to an actual official trailer i want to see it in its best possible quality for you know for computer or television so if somebody has a handheld version of something i'll skip it i will skip it i'm not going to watch it i'm going to wait for it so it's officially you know in a good format i want to see it in a good format so anyway back to the last jedi trailer starts we have a shot of what appears to be kylo ren looking at some kind of a um, construction facility some kind of an internal construction facility assembly line or something like that of military what could be ships it's really hard to say what the ships are but you can see in the distance uh, over there some adat looking things and i know that there are these new adat i think they call them gorilla adats or something like that that's like the nickname for them because you know they're they're apparently new for this film and as you're getting the beginning of the trailer, the narration is what sounds like, I guess it's Snoke talking about how, you know, when I found you, I saw so much potential and power and raw energy and blah, blah, blah. And I, I assume he's talking about Kylo Ren, but it could be wrong. You know, the, the, a lot of these trailers, they want you to think one thing and then in reality, it's something else. So the way that they're editing these shots because it's heavy heavy new order footage and kylo ren that's the what we're being led to believe i think next shot is 
Something that we are now seeing from a different perspective, and that is, in the original teaser, we saw these um, skimming ships, resistance ships, like, looked like they were going in one direction over these white sands with this red dust everywhere towards a horizon of what look like some kind of walkers. Well, here we have a profile shot of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe eight or more walkers. And there's different kinds. There's the traditional ADATs, and then much bigger, I would say about maybe 50% or 75% bigger, these newer ADATs that are supposed to be enormous. And those are the gorilla ones I'm talking about. And part of the reason, they're super armored and super loaded with guns. There's guns on top, guns on on the chins, on the face, you know, there's lots of guns <laughs> on these things. And what I guess makes them more, what where, and I guess where the term gorilla comes from is that the legs, instead of walking on feet, it seems to be walking on knuckles. The feet are kind of bent inward, so it looks like you're walking on your knuckles, kind of like a gorilla does, at least for the front. I can't really see the back too well from here, but I'm getting I'm getting that impression by looking at the this profile shot of them walking. And you do see what appears to be uh, Kylo Ren's dropship also hovering above them. You have a shot of, a high angle shot of Kylo Ren walking towards, it almost looks like a volcanic ashy area. And he's followed by, again, it's hard to tell, but they look like they're either flame troopers or snow troopers you know new order version of them and then a shot of kylo ren picking up his lightsaber with a bright red background and you got to remember red is the primary color here this is the color of this movie that is going to be sprinkled throughout every i imagine shot of it i know they're using a lot of red in their merchandising art red and white seems to be the leading color here so that's the way they seem to be going and as the narration ends, we now get a couple of shots of Rey training with the lightsaber, you know, all over the island that she's with Luke. At this point, we get the Lucasfilm logo and the music starts, the real music. And I'm telling you, this music is awesome. I hope it's an actual cut of real music of the film and not some kind of temp track or something like that. But I absolutely love this music that they're using. And again, it's a montage, more or less, of training shots, of her interacting with Luke. And you have a narration now of Rey talking about how she's always felt there was something in her and that now it's awakened, you know, so you have that, you know, connection to the first film, you know, that the title, at least, The Force Awakens. Not only does it awaken on the evil side, it's also awakening on the light side. As you're watching these uh, this montage, you get all these training shots, and it's very reminiscent of Dagobah. Instead of Yoda now being the trainer, it's Luke. And there's a shot where she somehow makes like a rock crack open, and Luke looks at it like in shock, like he can't believe the amount of power that she's being able to generate. Then you get a quick shot of Luke, who's looking kind of towards off the angle of the camera, saying that he's only seen this kind of raw power once before. And we assume that he's reacting to her. But again, these trailers, they could be tricking us. We don't know. And then you get a couple of quick shots of a mechanical hand going through some wood and fire. And then a long shot of some kind of building structure in flames. And then in the front, you see what I, th I think it's Luke and R2-D2, which 
could be referring to, I guess, whatever happened with Kylo Ren and the training and the fact that he betrayed all the other training Jedis and in the process burned down this building and Luke having escaped it or something like that. Then we get a few shots of Kylo Ren, again, having one of his fits, throwing stuff around in his office or his, his quarters. Now, what's interesting is that you do get a close-up of his face, and you do see in the spot where he has his scar that I guess comes from the end of The Force Awakens, he has not a traditional scar, but a like a grayish texture type of blackish scar, which might be some kind of medical thing that is kind of maybe healing his skin, you know, in a medical fashion. Then we get some space battle scenes and we see Kylo Ren's TIE fighter modified special ship and he's kind of blowing away what appears to be resistance ships. You know, they seem to be under attack by New Order fighters. And his narration talking about letting the past die and killing it if you have to. And this is intercut with shots of Leia looking very distressed and shots of targeting resistance ships and him firing on it. And again, you're what they're trying to make you believe here, whether or not this is how they're doing it, is that he's about to kill his own mother, just like he did in the previous film with Han Solo. And during these shots, you do get more of his face and that that strip that appears to, to me, it looks like a strip, some kind of medical strip that covers the uh, the scar and it must be, I guess, healing him, I assume. And you do get a shot of him finally pressing that trigger button as he's about to destroy something. Again, maybe it's Leia, maybe it's not. Then we get some pretty shots of the Falcon flying through what appears to be some kind of a cave but it's like glowing kind of cave and the TIE fighters chasing it, firing on it. <laughs> and you get a quick, sh <laughs> and you get a quick shot of Chewbacca howling pans a little bit and you get the Porg also screaming at the, <laughs> out the cockpit, which is really a cute little scene. And these guys are going to steal the movie. I'm pretty sure. Then you get a little bit of Poe talking about lighting the fire to destroy the uh, the New Order or something like that. Then you get a shot of Phasma getting ready to fight Finn. And Finn, I think, is wearing an Imperial costume. And we've seen this action figure already in terms of he's supposed to, I guess he's supposed to be undercover, you know, disguised as a First Order trooper or a First Order officer or something of that matter. And you get to see them fighting each other. Now, Phasma is using some kind of a lance, like a long lance, and Finn, I think, is using, I could be wrong, but it looks like he's using that traitor trooper from the previous film, that that baton that has the, you know, the electronics in, in the front. It almost looks like he's using that. I, I wonder if that's the, the way they're going with it. You get a couple of more shots of space, then you get a shot of Luke on the ground speaking to somebody, and it's dark and it's rainy. And it's very reminiscent of the dream that Rey was having, her memory or, or something, you know, of the Knights of Ren. You know, it could be something that looks like that, or maybe it is that. I don't know. Uh, there are theories out there going around that what she was seeing was not so much a flashback, but a, maybe a flash forward 
or a combination, who knows? And Luke's narration at that point is he's saying that things are not going to go the way you think, which could be a double meaning. It could be something he's delivering to the person that he's acting with, or it could be something he's telling us as the audience. You know, that could be, because like I said, there's so much in this that could go either way. There's a quick shot of what looks like some kind of a, a dog, wolf, white, snowy creature running away from a field and heading towards like the inside of a building, let's say, next to a mountain. And the mountain has all these red stripes kind of streaks, which is that setting, that at-at battle setting with the, the, the white and the red. Again, these are, it's amazing, like, you know, how things are decided. And I have a feeling that's where it all comes from. This particular battle, this defining battle, which is, it could be the, the showpiece of this film. Just like uh, Empire Strikes Back had Hoth as the showpiece. And I would say Star Wars had the Death Star Trench battle. And uh, Return of the Jedi, I would say Endor. The, the green and the, you know, that their color palettes. Their colors that, whether they do it on purpose or not, you kind of associate the colors of certain things with certain films. Well, this particular film, I have a feeling this is where all the color is coming from. It's this sequence. So you see this dog creature running in. And a whole bunch of other ones are like trying to get away, I guess, from the battle. And then you get, as we nearing the end of the trailer, you get faster and faster, you know, shots. You see Ray swimming underwater, which I assume must be part of her training, which to me, it's, it's very uh, Dagobah-ish. You see Finn, what looks like to be being arrested or escorted into some kind of a New Order facility. You see another shot of that could be that same hangar that we were looking at in the beginning but with all the troops lined up in like formation and then you do get a cleaner shot of a lot of the vehicles that uh, this hangar is housing from tie fighters to adats to the smaller adats the bigger adats it looks like there's some atsts in the mix there a couple of quick more shots of that white on red battle with the adats and now you see tie fighters in the mix too so it's a combination of land and air support that are you know striking this area and you do see some exchanges between tie fighters and these resistance kind of skimmer vehicles which i'm thinking more and more now that the skimming is more of a uh, maybe they do it for cover to generate a cloud of red dust to help them you know not identify their ships or maybe it's just the uh, the way that you skim water when you fly close to it and you create these ripples. But here the ripples are being offset by the color that's underneath. So in other words, there might be a red cover to this landscape, but it's covered in snow on top of it. So as you kind of disrupt the snow, the red comes up, something like that. Now, the narration that you're getting under these shots is Snoke saying, fulfill your destiny very slowly, very emperorish like you know. And you get a close-up of his face, no longer in a hologram form, but now he's in front of you. He's wearing this gold robe, and he's kind of looking straight at the camera, holding his hands out. I assume he's talking, at first you think he might be talking to Kylo Ren, but it looks more like by the following shot, he's talking to Rey. Because we get a shot of Ray in agony, kind of floating in the air, screaming. And in the background, you kind of do see Snoke's gold robes back there. So she is apparently confronting Snoke in some shape or form. And that's the shot that the trailer kind of ends until they give us the little stinger at the end. And the trailer then gives us the last line, which is uh, Ray saying, I need somebody to show me my place in all this. And she is talking to somebody we don't know who. 
there seems to be a fiery glow, like she's by firelight or candlelight or some kind of fiery glow, very calmly talking. But then they cut to a shot of Kylo Ren looking at somebody. We don't know who. There is a fiery glow around them, too. There's pieces of fire flying in the background, like from the battle, I guess, or something. And he extends his hand forward, which, again, we're being... I. It's too simple to think, I think, <laughs> that this is the same scene we're looking at. I think they're trying to fool us. And they're trying to fool us, I think, into thinking that she is asking Kylo Ren to be her master, her trainer, her force uh, <laughs> person. But I think that's a very deceptive last shot that they're giving us there. And that brings the trailer to the end. You get the typical, you know, ending of tickets now are available, by the way. People are already ordering them. The movie is going to be 3D and not 3D, real 3D and IMAX 3D, you know, the whole shebang. I'm glad they are continuing with 3D. I know we've talked about in the past of how 3D seems to be suffering a slow death <laughs> in terms of the, the home market is kind of dwindling. Movies are also starting to shy away from 3D. I hope they at least continue all the way through with these. You don't want to stop halfway through. I don't know if they're going to do all of the rest of the standalone films in 3D. They already did one. It looks like they're going with the second trilogy film of this particular trilogy with 3D. Hope they go all the way. To me, this is an excellent trailer. You do get this foreboding. I don't want to jump into the Empire Strikes Back bandwagon of this is going to be the darker of the three films. This is the one that's going to end in the most biggest cliffhangery, dark, depressing kind of ending because it's the middle one and then the last one will kind of bring us back. I don't know if that's the general consensus of how things are going. I mean, it's it wouldn't surprise me because this is the middle film. You know, you want to you want to kind of not wrap things up. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. The tone, my God, the tone. One of the things I love that, like I mentioned earlier, is the the, the colors and the colors. And I remember these colors. These these are the the feeling that I get from this trailer. And even the previous one is the the feeling that I remember when I watched the Revenge of the Jedi trailer. The first time that I saw the Royal Guards and Luke all dressed in black and obviously Vader all in black. Those contrasting red and black colors are so prominent in this trailer and in the marketing of this film. And I know there's also a lot of white in it too because of that snowy kind of scene. I really, really like that. My biggest hope is that when they get to Snoke and his Praetorian guards, that they actually do something cool with them. That they don't just waste them because we've had so many films where they've had so many potentially good characters to explore or to use, and they didn't. In the original trilogy, Boba Fett was kind of underused. He was a fan favorite. And by the time we got to Jedi, they kind of ended him kind of fast. The Royal Guards... I love the design. Like I said, when I saw that trailer, I, oh my God, they have some new bad guys and they're going to be so cool looking. They didn't use them. They never did anything in the film. I know some deleted scenes of them kind of wielding their force pike at one of their own, uh, I think Commander Jajera or something like that. But yeah, they never bothered to, to do anything with them. And in Phantom Menace, uh, again, one of the biggest awaited characters was Darth Maul, and we only got to see him fight once, and then they got rid of him right away. <laughs> so, yeah, I know he came back in animated form, but yeah, that's, that's something else. So here we have 
to me, what appears to be a great trailer. I can't believe the movie is only two months away. I mean, we're two months away from this movie already. It's, it's, it's amazing how fast, you know, time is flying. So I hope you enjoyed the trailer. I'm going to obviously include it as a link here. Watch it. Go take a look at it and come up with your own theories of what you think is happening. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. We did our Blade Runner 2049 review. Hopefully, we will have more on this particular subject in the future. You know, you never know, you know if their sequel is coming one day or if more other you know, merchandisable material might be kind of sneaking its way into us pretty soon regarding this film. And also, we are so close to Star Wars The Last Jedi coming in a couple of months. You know, we love this new trailer they put out. You know, again, with the merchandising, they've already put out so many new toys already. And I know there are more coming. And this trailer definitely helps in getting us all pumped for what's coming in December. This looks like to be a great middle film in this new trilogy. But, you know, again, they did say that as long as we keep seeing them, they'll keep making them. So, you know, we have a Han Solo movie coming out and then another standalone and then episode nine <laughs> comes after episode eight. You know, there's just so much in the horizon. I love it. I love Star Wars. Just keep it coming. I'm sure there's going to be some kind of television project in the horizon somewhere, hopefully even an animated project, you know, so just keep them coming. And on behalf of everybody here at GeekFest Rants, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you here next time at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody.
you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2017. <laughs>